Well, good morning, church. I want to begin today by sharing uh, with you a couple of uh, great and uh, really exciting things that uh, are going on here. And the first is uh, a report on where we ended up uh, last year financially. Uh, And and this is is really tremendous. Uh, By God's grace and through your generosity, um, we ended uh, 2021 uh, with our general giving exceeding our general budget by $117,000. Yeah. But not only that, it was $170,000 above our uh, budget, but $180,000 above our expenses, uh, which means that we ended up last year really, really great. Uh, But more than that, uh, last year uh, you gave over $360,000 to reduce our debt. $360,000. Yeah, we can celebrate that as well. And here's the, here's the really great thing about that. That means that, uh, Lord willing, it's, it's very, very possible that this year, uh, by the end of the year, we will be able to be completely uh, debt-free. In fact, that is uh, something that, yeah, okay, we can celebrate that too. Yeah. That's something actually, though, that uh, we should pray for and that we should actually make our goal uh, this year. Because if we were able to do that, that would set, up really, uh, set us up really, really well uh, for this time next year to be able to pursue some big things that we, got, uh, we believe that God has in front of us. And so I just want to take a moment here. Uh, God gets the glory for all of this, right? Uh, it all comes from him. It's all because of him. Uh, but I also want to just thank you, uh, those of you who give generously uh, to the ministry of Harmony Bible Church. You are making an incredible impact impact both here uh, and around the world. And I just have to tell you, when I think about those of you who, who generously give, uh, I get kind of jealous myself uh, for all of the treasure that you are laying up for yourselves in heaven. And I can't wait until we get to heaven one day uh, and I get to watch how you get to enjoy all that treasure that you are laying up uh, right now. Now, um, we want to clap again. Go ahead. Let's clap again. We're going to clap a lot today. That'll be good. Hopefully you'll still be clapping when this message is over. <laughs> The second exciting thing, though, I want to share with you has to do with our upcoming preaching schedule. Uh, In fact, I'm going to uh, give you the plan uh, for the rest of the year. Uh, So next uh, Sunday, we're going to begin a new series in uh, 1 and 2 Samuel entitled No King uh, But Jesus. Now, uh, we'll explain more what this title means uh, next week. But but in short, uh, we're going to look at a lot of uh, well-known Bible stories and a few not-so-well-known Bible stories, uh, all of which point to the fact that there is really no king but King uh, Jesus. And so we're going to begin that next Sunday. We'll go all the way up to Easter uh, with that series. And then we're going to pause and we're going to spend about a month uh, talking about the topic of suffering. Now, I found as a pastor that suffering is something, A, that all of us go through in life. And B, it's something that can be a real challenge to our faith. And so we're going to attempt to ask uh, this question or to answer this question. And that is, how do we make sense of suffering? In fact, that's going to be the the title for the series, Making Sense of Suffering. I think it's going to be hopefully be really helpful uh, to us uh, as we try to navigate, especially the days that we are living in right now. So we're going to spend about a month in that. And then we're going to come back to 1st and 2nd Samuel, going all the way through August, uh, through those two books. And then uh, sometime in August... We're going to do a series uh, for the rest of the year uh, entitled, uh, or really is a series on the greatest sermon ever. Now, just to be clear here, it's not going to be a series of the greatest sermons ever. 
nor is it going to be a series on one of my sermons, okay? Just to be clear there. I know none of you are really thinking that. So that really never popped in your mind. But it's going to be a series on a sermon that Jesus preached. You probably know what it's called, uh, the Sermon on uh, the Mount. And I'm really looking forward to this series. I think it's going to be incredibly powerful and transformative. And I'm looking forward to the entire year. And, and as we do that together, here's what I want to encourage you to do. One, I want to encourage you to pray. So if you don't pray at least on a, on a daily basis, pray on a weekly basis that God's going to use the preaching of his word in a powerful way, both in our church and well beyond our church. And then second, I want to encourage you uh, to follow our reading plan. So we, we put a reading plan together for every sermon series that we do. There's a new one available today that you can start in, uh, this week preparing for First uh, and Second Samuel, which will start next Sunday. Uh, but why don't you grab one of those reading plans and, and just uh, commit to reading along uh, with this so that we can be reading and studying the Bible uh, together. And as we do that, I really believe the Lord will do a great work amongst us. Now, with that said, go ahead and take your Bibles and turn with me to Genesis 2. Genesis 2. Today we're going to conclude our month of standalone messages by talking about stewardship. Stewardship. We're spending January on some important issues we need to come back to on a regular basis. And stewardship is certainly one of these issues. Now, uh, be honest for a second. Uh, When I say uh, that we're going to talk about stewardship... What's the first thing that pops into your mind? What what do you think that I'm going to preach on today? You think I'm going to talk about money, right? Think I'm going to talk about money. However, I'm probably going to surprise you a little bit. I'm not going to hardly talk about money at all today. In fact, that's not the topic of the message really in in any significant way. And the reason for that is, is that stewardship is about much more than money. In fact, stewardship is about all of life. Or it might be better to say it this way, all of life is stewardship. All of life is stewardship. This is so crucial for us to understand that I I want us to say all of life is stewardship together so that we can hopefully start getting it into not only our, our heads, but also into our hearts. So we say with me this morning, all of life is stewardship. One more time, all of life is stewardship. Here's something we need to realize. The Bible talks about stewardship more than any other topic. It talks about it more than heaven or hell or love or sex or even salvation. In fact, the Bible talks about stewardship more than it talks about all of these other topics combined. Jesus himself talked about stewardship way more than he talked about anything else. And let me just say that if stewardship is that important to Jesus and the Bible, then it better be important to us. You with me on that? Stewardship is a huge topic in the Bible. In many ways, the entire Bible is about stewardship. So we need to make sure that we understand what it says and that we're applying it to our lives. So let's begin uh, by defining the word stewardship. Now, you saw the dictionary definition of stewardship up in the video that we played before I got up here. But I want to give you the biblical definition. And biblically speaking, stewardship is managing all resources God provides for his glory and creation's flourishing. Stewardship is managing all resources God provides for his glory and creation's flourishing. Let me point out three things about stewardship from this definition. First, stewardship is about management. It's about management. In biblical times, a steward was someone who took care of someone else's property. Today we call a steward a manager, such as a manager of a restaurant or a retail store. Some of you students are are managers of a school sports team. 
Many of you have someone who manages your investments for you. In fact, this is probably the best illustration. A financial planner or or manager takes your money. It's your money, but they invest it for you. They care for it for you. They manage it. They steward it for you. Stewardship is managing something for someone else. Second, the resources to be managed come from God. The resources we steward aren't ours, they're his. In fact, here's something important for us to understand. It's all his. In fact, I want you to, want you to say that with me today. It's all his. Can you say that? It's all his. It's all his. Our time, our talents, our treasure, it's all his. LeBron James gave an interview a couple of years ago uh, in a way that uh, perfectly illustrated this truth. Now, um, I believe LeBron James, by the way, is uh, at best the second greatest basketball player of all time. Not a big fan of his, but there's something that he said a couple of years ago. By the way, some of you young guys want to argue about that. You can check me out after side and outside afterwards, and we'll have that discussion and an argument. But anyway, uh, LeBron James was given an interview a few years back, and the interviewer uh, just kind of made a random comment to him about how wealthy his children were. Like Bronny was really, really wealthy. And, and when LeBron heard that, he said, "Hey, I'm going to stop you there. My children have nothing. They have nothing." They have absolutely nothing because everything that they have isn't theirs, it's mine. That's what we need to think or the way we need to think in regard to stewardship. Everything that we have actually isn't ours, it's God. He owns it all, it's all his. Third, stewardship has two goals, God's glory and creation's flourishing. Note what this implies. Our resources aren't ultimately for us, but rather for the purpose of serving God and others. Simply put, we have what we have so we can bring glory to God and good to others. So can I say this to you this morning? Everything that you have, it's not yours, it's God's. And he has given you everything that you have, not ultimately for you, but rather so, so that you can serve him and others. Now, with this definition in mind, let's look at what the Bible has to say about stewardship and give really the biblical basis for this definition I've just provided with you with. And we're going to begin in Genesis 2, where right from the beginning of the Bible, we are told that we were created for stewardship. We were created for stewardship. So look at Genesis 2 and verse 15. Notice what we're told there. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. So God creates the first man, Adam, and he puts him in the Garden of Eden and gives him a job to do. Adam was given a responsibility to work in and on the garden and to do so by keeping it. Uh, The word keep means to guard, to preserve, to care for. This means that Adam was created to be a steward. God made the world and everything in it And then as his final act of creation, he made Adam to manage it all for him. Should also add here that God goes on to create Eve as Adam's co-manager. So so God creates the world, the universe, and then he creates Adam. He says, hey, Adam, your job is to manage and to steward all of this uh, that I have created But then God says, you know what? That's a really, really big job. This guy isn't going to be able to do it on his own. And so God creates Eve as Adam's co-manager. And if we go back to chapter 1, we get a little bit of a, a bigger picture of how Adam and Eve were to steward, to manage 
everything else that God had created. So look at chapter 1 and verse 28. Notice what we find out there. It says this, And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. There are five stewardship words in this verse. Fruitful, multiply, fill, subdue, and dominion. This means, in a real sense, God's first command to mankind was to be a steward, to take what he had created and manage it in such a way that God would be glorified and creation would flourish. Let me ask you something. When Adam and Eve were created, what did they bring into the world? Just think about that for a second. When, When God breathed into Adam the breath of life, and he came alive. And then God put Adam to sleep and he took out a rib and created Eve and she came alive. What did they come into the world with? They came into the world with nothing. They didn't come into the world with any possessions whatsoever. No house, no car, no iPhone. They didn't even have any clothing. And we know that they didn't have any clothing because they were what? They were naked. I know it's a little awkward to say naked in church, all right, but chapter 2 and verse 25 says it. They were, they were naked. They came into the world with nothing. And so when Adam and Eve came into the world, what could they claim as their own? Nothing. When they woke up and they saw all this beautiful creation for the very first time, they couldn't say that it was theirs. They had to recognize it was God's. And then they, they heard really the first words from God that they are to take all of this thing, all these things that God has created, and they were to manage it and to steward it in such a way that they would image God. They would bring glory to him and that creation would flourish. Now let's make some application here at this point. When we come into this world, what do we come into this world with? We come into this world with Nothing. Just like Adam and Eve, when we come to the world, we are naked. Every baby that's ever been born has been born naked. What's more, when we leave this world, what do we take with us? We take nothing with us. Now, I've done dozens and dozens of funerals over the years, and I've seen some really interesting things at funerals. But let me tell you one thing that I have never seen. I have never seen a U-Haul behind a hearse. You've never seen a U-Haul behind a hearse. You know why you haven't, and you know why you won't? Because we don't take it with us. Paul talks about this in 1 Timothy chapter 6 where he says we we come into the world with nothing and we leave with nothing. So what we have to recognize is that the things that we have in the time that we are here, they're not ours, they're his. And he simply gives them to us to manage them for him, to bring glory to him and to bring good to others. So we were created for stewardship. But of course, there's a problem, right? And the problem is that while we were created for stewardship, we all too often don't operate as good stewards. In fact, we can say that it's not our default setting. It was the original default setting for Adam and Eve, but it's not the default setting that we come into this world with. And and just to prove this, I want you to think of what we have to teach our children to do. What's one of the first things that we have to teach our children how to do? We have to teach them how to share, right? Every child has to be taught how to share. Why do they have to be taught how to share? Because we all come into this world thinking everything is ours and we don't want anybody else to have any part of it, right? 
How many of you ever had to pry a toy out of a two-year-old's hand to make them share with somebody else? We've all had that experience, right? Not a fun experience. Why? Because just by nature, we're like those seagulls and finding Nemo. Mine, mine, mine. That's what we say. That's how we think. And I can just tell you, some of us are still two-year-olds, even though we've left that stage a long time ago. Why is that? Well, the reason for that is, is that sin has corrupted our stewardship. God created us for stewardship. He created us as stewards. But sin has corrupted our stewardship. And all we have to do is go to Genesis chapter 3 and see why this is the case. Now, we won't actually look at the text, but you know the story, right? God puts Adam and Eve in this garden. He gives them all of creation to be able to to use, to be able to enjoy, uh, to manage for him. But he tells them, you know, there's, there's one thing that you cannot do. There's one thing that is off limits. Everything else you, you, you can eat, you can enjoy. Just one thing I don't want you to do, and I don't want you to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. But of course, what do Adam and Eve do? You know the story. They don't do all the things that they can do. They do the one thing that they are not supposed to do. And the results have been tragic for each and every one of us. As a result now... All of us are born as slaves to sin, and we become incapable of stewarding as God intended us to. And to see how all of this plays out, just to give the, really the first example of this in Scripture, I want you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 4. Right? We're going to turn a lot today. It'll be a good exercise for us. But in Genesis chapter 4, we see the first two human children, Cain and Abel. They give us a great illustration, especially Cain, of how now we are slaves to sin and sin has corrupted our stewardship. So pick up with me in verse 3. We're told, in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you so angry and why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. This is a passage that trips a lot of us up because we get confused as to why God accepts Abel's sacrifice and he doesn't accept Cain's sacrifice. But let me tell you why. God doesn't accept Cain's sacrifice because Cain did not bring his offering to God in faith. Abel, on the other hand, gave God his first fruits, his first portion, trusting that God was going to bring in the rest. What Cain did is Cain waited until he had everything, and then when he knew that he had enough, he gave God out of, really out of the final portion. So because of sin, because he, he, he had this sin nature from his parents, Cain didn't steward things well. And therefore, when God comes to him and doesn't accept his offering, how does Cain respond? He responds in anger. In fact, anger is probably an understatement here. He gets enraged with God and God says to him, hey, listen, Cain, this is, this is really, really important. You have to make a decision whether you're going to rule over sin, because if you don't rule over sin, sin is going to rule over you. Of course, that's exactly what happens, because what does Cain do next? In his anger, he murders his brother. And this is a perfect illustration of, uh, I'm, you know, not that we go out and we murder people, at least not physically, but it's a perfect illustration of what sin does to us all. 
we all are under the rule of sin, and as a result, we don't steward our resources the way that God intends us to. Instead of using what we've been given to worship God and serve others, we worship our resources in an attempt to get them to serve us. You see what's happening here, what I'm, what I'm trying to lead you to? Uh, we were created to take the resources, to take creation, and to use it to worship the Creator. But because of sin, we no longer worship the Creator, but instead we worship created things. We make idols out of them. Now, we, we would like to say that that is not the case and that, that we can have some type of middle ground, but as we're going to talk about here in a little bit, that's not possible. Paul makes it really, really clear in Romans chapter 1 that if we're not using resources to worship the Creator, we're going to worship the resources themselves. We're going to make idols out of them. And why is this the case? It's the case because of sin. However, that's not the end of the story. Although sin has corrupted our stewardship, we're not without hope. And we're not without hope because Jesus came to redeem us for stewardship. So we were created for stewardship. Sin has corrupted our stewardship. But Jesus came to redeem us for stewardship. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, all right? Again, we're doing lots of turning here, but hopefully it'll be really helpful to you. Because what we find in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 is how Jesus came to redeem us for stewardship. Now, while you're getting to 1 Corinthians, let me explain that Paul's first letter to the church of Corinth has perhaps more to say about stewardship than any other book in the Bible. You see, the church at Corinth uh, was an incredibly gifted one. But unfortunately, the members were using their gifts for themselves rather than to bring glory to God and good to one another. And because of this, the church was a complete and, and utter mess. They, they had every problem imaginable, all right? So, so you had people bickering amongst one another. You had people in the church filing lawsuits against one another. You had incredible sexual immorality going in, in the church. You, you even had a man in the church who was having an affair with his stepmom. And the church was actually celebrated this fact that, that, that they were so gracious to allow this to go on. You see, they had a huge, huge issue about stewardship because they weren't using the gifts that God had given them to bring glory to him and serve one another. They were using their gifts for themselves. Now, as we saw back last fall in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul specifically addressing how to steward the gift of sex. But what we're going to see in our text here today applies to every area of life. So look at verse 19. Notice what Paul says there. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Paul's telling the Corinthians that instead of using their gifts for themselves, they're to use them to bring glory to God and good to one another. They're to do what God created them to do. And Paul's rationale for this is that the Corinthians have been bought with a price. The imagery here is of a slave uh, being purchased from the auction block. So we can think of it this way. Sin was our owner. It was our master. But God came along and paid the price, a very high price, to set us free. And what was that price? We, we talked about this last week. The, the price that God paid, the ransom that God paid to set us free, was the blood of Jesus Christ. Every single one of us was a slave to sin. But God, in his grace and his mercy and his love for us, sent Jesus to pay the penalty that we deserve so that now we have been redeemed. We are free. But you know what we are free to do? We're not free to do whatever we we want to do we're free to serve him 
That's really Paul's point, right? He says, you were bought with a price. So what? So glorify God with your body. Brothers and sisters, we got to get this here today. All right. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, he has bought you. He has purchased you. He owns you. And that's not a good thing. That's, a, that's, a, that's not a bad thing. It's a really good thing. It's a great thing. Why? Because now you can do what you were created to do. What, you, what were you created to do? You were created to glorify him and to serve other people with the resources he has given you. Note Paul says that God bought us. We're not our own. Now our time, our talent, our treasure aren't ours anymore. They're his. Again, it's all his. And I want to point out here that this is not a I have to. It's I get to. So, so I, I really want you to get this this morning. All right. This idea of stewardship is not I have to steward. It's that I get to steward. I get now to use all of these things that God has so graciously given me to give back to him, to honor him, to glorify him, to serve the world, to help creation to flourish. You see, again, here's the reality. We either manage things for God, we either steward them well, or the things steward us, the things manage us. There is no in-between. We, we want there to be an in-between, right? We, we want to be able to be in control of the resources God has given us for our own sake, for our own self, to do what we want to do. But, but here's what we have to understand. When we have that attitude and we have that mentality, it's actually those resources, that, it's that stuff that is controlling us. You, you with me here? When you're like, I'm going to do what I want to do with my money because I'm in control of my money. You're not in control of your money. Your money's in control of you. You think you're in control, but you're not. Because here's the deal. God has given you that money. It's not your money. It's his money. You might be saying, well, I work really hard for it. Well, who gives you the ability to work? Who gave you the job you do? Who gave you the mind that you do? Who gave you the breaks that you do? Now, it's just for me, for example, here, all right? I, I can say my money is my money because I work hard for it. And some of you are saying, you don't work that hard. You only work half a day a week, okay? <laughs> Maybe a little bit more than that. But the truth is, is I, I can't say it's, it's, it's my money because I work hard for it. Because the reality is, is that God gives me the ability to work. God gave me the position I have. God enabled me to get the education I got. He, he's the one that had me uh, be born in the family I was born in, the time I was born in, and all of that. It's all, it's all because of him. It's not because of me. I can't claim any of it. Because the truth is, is that when God decides that I'm going to stop breathing, I'm going to stop breathing. And the same thing is true for you. It's all his. It's all about him. And so when we don't have that attitude and we don't have that mentality, what we are actually revealing is that the stuff is actually controlling us. The stuff is our God. It is manipulating. It is getting us to do what it wants us to do. And this is truth we can see over and over in the Old Testament. In fact, we're going to see it in our uh, First and Second Samuel series is that the Israelites, they were either worshiping God or they were worshiping some idol. And you know, anytime the Israelites went and they started following uh, the idols, the gods of the other nations, do you know what those nations always did? Those nations always oppressed them. Always. It was a sort of over and over and over again. And the same thing is true for us today. And we've got to wake up to this. Is that when we don't use the resources that God has given us to serve him, to honor him and for him, those things are going to control us and eventually they're going to oppress us. 
And you can see the perfect example of this. I'm not going to talk a lot about money today, but the perfect example of this, and we can see this in our country right now, is how people are controlled by money and how they'll lie and they'll steal and they will cheat to get more money and then they'll be anxious about money and then they will make poor decisions because of money and they'll go into huge debt because of money and over and over again and they'll get divorced because of money and it just goes on and on and on and on. All thinking that it's about me and I can control my money, not recognizing the money is controlling them. So that's the bad news. The good news here is is it doesn't have to be that way. And it doesn't have to be that way because Jesus came to redeem us for stewardship. He came to redeem us to do what we were originally created to do. So let's then talk about how we actually live out our calling to be stewards. Let's talk about how we practice good stewardship. So we talked about the what. Let's now talk about the how. There are three things we need if we're going to steward well. One that has to do with our head, one that has to do with our hands, and one that has to do with our hearts. So you might think of this as the head, the hands, and the heart of good stewardship. First, the head of good stewardship. Now I want you to listen to me carefully here. If you're going to steward as God created you to, and Jesus died for you to, then it begins with consciously committing yourself to making stewardship a priority. So, so here's where it starts. If you're going to steward well, you have to, in your mind, in your head, consciously commit that this needs to be a priority and I'm going to make it a priority. So I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 12. Gospel of Luke chapter 12. You need to go there. We're going to see what Jesus has to say about this issue. And he says some really important things. Jesus tells a number of parables about stewardship. I just briefly want to look at one of them uh, with you here for a few moments. Luke chapter 12, and we're going to pick up in verse 42. Luke tells us this, And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise manager, whom his master will set over his household, to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and in an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what was deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. There's a lot we could talk about here. There's probably a number of questions that you have about this parable. One of the, the issues that we've got to be careful when we look at a parable is uh, not recognizing that there's actually just normally only one primary point. With that said, there's two things that I think really need to stand out to us from this parable. Number one, Jesus is talking about us in verse 48. Look at verse 48 again. To everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required, and from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. Brothers and sisters, I think it's clear that when Jesus mentions people in verses 48 who've been given much, he is talking about us. We are people who have been blessed in almost every conceivable way. Physically, financially, relationally, and spiritually. Are are you getting this? 
we are incredibly, an incredibly blessed group of people, really every single one of us. Jesus is talking about us. Second, Jesus takes stewardship very seriously. He uses strong language in this parable to describe what happens to those who don't steward well. You know what? That's kind of an understatement. It's kind of an understatement. Bottom line, when it comes to stewardship, Jesus doesn't mess around. And here's something that we have to really wrestle with today, okay? And I really want you to listen to me here. I want you to listen to me. We, we cannot fool ourselves into thinking that we're going to get away with being poor stewards. You are not going to get away with failing to use the time, the talents, and the treasure that God has given you. It just ain't going to happen. You might be thinking, oh, Jesus is going to give me a pass, all right? It's not a big deal. I'm not going to be held account. But Jesus is really, really clear that he's coming back. And when he comes back, he's going to call Okay, his, his stewards, his managers before him, and they're going to have to give an account for how they have stewarded what he has given them. We are not going to get away with it. And I just have to be honest with you. When I think of the many, many professing Christians I know, I tremble when I think of this parable. And I tremble because there are many professing Christians who seem completely unconcerned that they are not using their time, their talent, and their treasures to bring glory to God and to serve others. They're not serving with the gifts that God has given them in the church. They're not using the time that God has given them to make an impact for the kingdom. And they're not using the money that God has given them to help to bring glory to God, to spread the message of the kingdom, to to share the gospel with those who need it. You know, right now in in the church, in the evangelical church, the the average giving of a person in an evangelical church is about 2.6% of their income. That's less than evangelical Christians gave during the Great Depression. We are the wealthiest Christians that have ever, we are the wealthiest people that have ever lived, and yet we tend to give the least that people have ever given. Why is that? It's because we're not stewarding well. And why are we not stewarding well? Because we are allowing our money to steward us, to control us, to manage us. And the point that I want to make to you today, and we've got to wrestle with this, is that Jesus is coming back. And what's more, by the way, he's coming back when we, we don't expect him, right? Jesus says he's coming back. We, that, that these stewards, okay, the, these uh, servants are like, oh, he's delayed in coming. It's no big deal. I can get to that later. Listen to me, friends. Jesus is coming back. And we don't know when he's coming back. It could be today. It could be tomorrow. It could be next week. It could be 10 years from now. But he's coming back. And when he comes back, he's going to hold us to account. And so here is the point. We need to be ready. We need to be ready. How do we get ready? Well, it begins by in our minds consciously committing that we are going to steward well, that we are going to make it a priority. So that's the head. Let's now move to the hands. Because when we're talking about the hands, we're talking about how do we actually steward well. And here's what I want you to hear on this point. If we're going to steward well, we have to get equipped to do so. Here's a plain, hard truth. The reason why so many Christians don't steward well is because they've actually never learned how to do so. There there are so many Christians who have never actually learned how to steward in the way that God would want them to. But, But here's the thing. You know what this book tells us over and over again, explicitly and repeatedly? It tells us how to steward. 
So the point is, is that if you are going to steward well, you have to study God's word. You have to take that commitment that you're making to steward well, and you have to actually put that into practice so that you're, you're, you're really in many ways getting hands-on and that you are learning from God's word what it means to be a good steward. How do I use my, my time in a way that honors him? How do I use the gifts that he has given me? Maybe I should point this out to you. Do you realize that if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have a spiritual gift or gifts? I want to ask you today, do you know what your spiritual gifts are? Do you know how God has gifted you through his spirit to bring glory to him and to serve other people? If you don't know what your gift is, what do you need to do? You need to learn. You need to figure that out and begin to use that gift to serve the church and the world. How are you going to steward your money well if you don't know what the Bible has to say about it? The Bible has all kinds of things to say about how to steward the money. So here's the point. Commit today as you make it a priority that you're going to make it a priority by learning how to steward well. You know, we've got all kinds of opportunities and options for you to be able to do that here at Harmony. Here, let me give you two. One would be our Equip You courses we offer on a regular basis. The other would be a faith and finance course that we've just begun to offer through the City Hope Foundation, and we've got those classes coming up. And so if today you you feel convicted by the Spirit that I need to make it a priority and I need to learn how to steward, then step into some of these opportunities today. So that's the the hands. We've got the head, we've got the hands. But you know what the most important part of this is, of course? The most important part of this is the heart. And so for the heart of stewardship, I want you to turn with me to one more passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and in chapters 8 and 9 of 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul um, is dealing with the issue of generosity. And in verses 8 and 9 of chapter 8, he makes the most important statement on stewardship in the entire Bible. In fact, it's the most important statement on stewardship, uh, period. So I want you to find that, and then I want us just to take it slowly as we walk through this passage, because here's what I want you to know. The most important thing that you are ever going to hear about stewardship is what I am going to read you here in just a second. It's the most important thing that the Bible has to say. It's the most important thing that anybody anywhere has to say. In fact, the most important thing that you will hear about stewardship will not be from a Dave Ramsey book or a course or any other book or course other than the Bible. So notice what Paul says to the Corinthians. He says this, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. So Paul is encouraging them to take up an offering to give to the um, poverty-stricken Christians in Jerusalem. But notice he says, I'm not saying this is a command. Instead, here's what he says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Do you, do you see what Paul's doing here? He, he's not giving a command about giving. In fact, there, there aren't commands in the New Testament about giving. Instead, what Paul is doing is he is reminding the Corinthians about the gospel. And he's reminding the Corinthians about the gospel because he knows that if the Corinthians get the gospel, they will get good stewardship. Did you get that? If you get the gospel, you will get good stewardship. In fact, I would say it this way. If you don't get the gospel, you'll never get good good stewardship. So everything else we've been talking about today, you can throw out the window if you don't get the gospel. Why? 
Because the gospel is the only thing that can change our heart and give us the motivation to steward in a way that God gets the glory and others get the good. The gospel is the only thing that, that, that can free us from the chains of serving stuff instead of using our stuff to serve God. And so what does Paul do here? Well, Paul tells the Corinthians to remember Jesus. Jesus, who though he was infinitely wealthy, for our sake became poor, so that through his poverty we might become rich. So I just want you to think about Jesus here as we close. Jesus had all the riches of heaven. He was unfathomably rich. He was richer than, than we can even begin to imagine. And yet, he temporarily set aside all of that wealth and he came to this earth and became utterly and completely destitute. When Jesus died on that cross, he died without a house. He died without any possessions. He died without any money. He even died without any clothing. Jesus was crucified naked. He died with nothing. More than that, though, he died without even the comfort of his heavenly father. Because on the cross, God the Father completely turned his back. He forsook his son. Do you remember what Jesus cried out on the cross? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Do you know what the answer to that question is? Paul gives it to us here in 2 Corinthians 8, 9. He became poor so that out of his poverty, we might become rich. You see, in Jesus giving up all of his wealth, he made it possible for us to have all of his wealth so that through faith in him, we might now become God's children. You you realize that? That when you place your faith in, in Jesus Christ, God adopts you into his family. You become his son, you become his daughter. And as his sons and as his daughters, now we are his heirs, which means that one day we're gonna inherit all that he owns. And what does God own? He owns everything. What does that mean for you? It means one day you're going to own everything, absolutely everything. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that wonderful? It's especially wonderful when you recognize how spiritually bankrupt and destitute you were. You see, without Jesus, it doesn't matter how much money you have, how much a big family you have or big house that you have or a great job that you have. Because without Jesus, you are spiritually bankrupt, which means that you ultimately have nothing and are going to spend eternity separated from him with nothing. But the truth is, is that when you were poor, Jesus gave of his wealth to take your poverty so that in taking your poverty, you might have his wealth. And that is the reality for you right here, right now, and is your reality for all eternity. And when you truly get that and you truly remember that and you live out of that, All of a sudden now you are freed from serving stuff and you are free to take the stuff and to serve God so that he gets the glory and others get the good. And so I just want to remind you again of the gospel, brothers and sisters, because here's the deal. You might be looking, you might feel convicted. I hope that you are about not stewarding well. But I just want to tell you this, is that if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, not stewarding well, that sin has been forgiven. And you don't need to look in the past about how, or even the present, and saying, I'm not doing well, and I'm going to feel guilty about that. You don't need to feel guilty because Jesus took the guilt for that. Instead, you need to take that reality, that truth of how you've been freed by Jesus, and you need to use it to say, I'm going to go out, and I'm going to steward well for him today. So, in closing, we were created for stewardship. Sin's corrupted our stewardship. 
But Jesus has redeemed us for stewardship. And because we are redeemed, let's go out and take all the things that he has given us and let's use them to bring glory to him and to serve others. Will you pray with me?